0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday
1: Night on Soft podcast. I am Connor Oguera. Will, plan for today spring games, spring games, some more spring games. A um, lot to discuss. We're going to try not to overreact. That's what we're going to focus on today. Don't, don't want to have wee
2: stuff, Connor. Mm,
1: we're going to try not to overreact to spring games, but. As Josh Pate said, you are allowed to react to some things that happen in spring games. Chris Doring is going to join us in a bit. He was at not one, not two, but three spring games. Uh, We're also going to talk dad bots in figuring out, which is just a terrible subject. I realize for a Doring episode, Um, that dad bot, he doesn't believe in that whatsoever. Uh, But first, let's do overreaction or proper reaction. A new game I just made up that probably a lot more people should be playing throughout the spring at least playing in their head maybe playing in their group text where they're talking about this random guy who had two catches in a spring game and oh my god this guy's going to be an all-american i love how spring games are sort of a create your own narrative deal um Mm -hmm. no matter what plays out you can spin it any way that you see fitting like seriously anyway you could have a team put up 500 points and somebody will be like well that counted Against the defense, that doesn't really count against the defense because they're without their outside linebacker. Um, right. <laughs> you could, the old Devin White.
0: I've done that before, buddy.
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, and I was saying this to Lauren the other day watching seven hours of spring games like I did on Saturday, no big deal. I don't deserve an award. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I can let the people decide that. But doing that on a given Saturday is weird to be in that headspace. Because I have so many moments in this job where I think, well, I need to talk about that on Sunday or that's going to be a thing now. Or, wow, like didn't see that one coming. And it's so different to try and dissect the the factors at play in a spring game. Like, especially when you see a quarterback that should be ruled down at the 15 and instead the coach wants to see points in the scoreboard. And he's like, ah, screw it. Whatever. He was one hand touch. That's a touchdown. Yeah. We try to be level-headed with these things because you can watch Eric Gilbert or a Jai Hall just ball out in a spring game. And then a year later they're in the transfer portal because these things are just what they are. They're a one afternoon sample size. So we will do some overreaction versus proper reaction for the games this past weekend. We'll do a little less on Florida and Ole Miss because I'll go more in depth with them with CD in a bit here. Will was really upset when I told him that we weren't going to do as much on Florida. We have a lot. Not we'll just you.
2: Florida. Both of them were hilarious, and so was Auburn. I'm not signaling anyone out here. It's like. Like you said, you gotta just as a coach, you gotta be the propaganda minister and like code in halftime be like, you hey guys looking bad. What are these defenses? Just taking just fall down. We gotta we gotta score like 30 really quickly. Yes, love it, love the scoring. Uh definitely
1: don't want to overreact to that too much. But yeah, I will stick on the offensive side of the ball because I, I feel like defense kind of gets a raw deal in some of these games, man. Like some of them, you, you find out they're playing base defenses, some of them you you realize, oh, they got these guys aren't actually able to hit at full speed. Every once mm-hmm. in a while, you'll get a Jalen Catalan popping through the middle and just trying to declete someone like he did a few years ago. But usually you're not really seeing that in a spring game. And these guys are kind of pulling up on ball carriers. So I don't want to necessarily hold too many of these defensive guys accountable. But I do think there are some offensive takeaways. So that's what we'll focus on today. Really all quick.
2: Right. Who do you think in your time at SDS is the greatest spring game player of all time? It's a great question. Will it's a great question. Oh man
1: I don't have an immediate one that jumps to mind. I really don't because gosh now I'm now I'm really struggling I'm thinking I, I keep thinking of the guys who have made headlines for not the best reason in spring right or even even when. Nick Saban was talking about Jalen Hurts. Like, why can't he just execute the offense or whatever? Our third string guy can execute the offense. Why can't Jalen Hurts? By the way, Jalen Hurts just became the highest paid player in NFL history today. No big deal. Um, A lot has happened since he was very much uh, the source of frustration for Nick Saban during a spring game. I can't think of one that comes to mind that, that it's just like a no doubter because I'm also thinking of the Eric Gilberts, the the Ajai yeah. Halls, the guys who have looked really good and then faded off. So I I keep going back to that. There's an answer that somebody has. I just don't have it off the top of my head.
2: There's I remember Miles Brandon looking good in every spring game, bro. I remember it being did. like, this dude, this is the next dude. And then, boy, is he working at um, you know, a bar or something now somebody Walk-on wanted to look the name I was looking for because did that sponsorship but yeah that is the that's the best kind of spring game guys like the backup who's like never really going to start but has no pressure and could just ball out there are some sickos that wanted me to say Malik Willis I wouldn't
1: give in I'm not going to say Malik <laughs> Willis had the best spring game ever Marla was tripping me over the weekend about that I was like I stand by my evaluation of Malik Willis there was plenty to work with that Gus Malzahn should have gone all in with instead of saying he was a third string guy after he looked really good in the spring game in my opinion but mm-hmm. That can be the last Malik Willis reference for the day. Um, All right, let's talk about two other quarterbacks who I thought are in kind of unique spots here. KJ Jefferson and Will Rogers will be the best versions of themselves in their new schemes. I think that's a proper reaction more than an overreaction. Um, Easy to forget, two most experienced SEC quarterbacks, at least in terms of experience against SEC competition. Those two guys are dealing with Scheme changes. They're Mm -hmm. they're going to more pro style schemes. It's not like you're totally reinventing the wheel for them, but there there are some pretty significant differences that both of them are having to deal with. We saw that in the spring game, whatever you want to call it with Arkansas, they were calling it a spring scrimmage. They didn't want to call it a spring game officially, but um, it it was just interesting to watch both of those scrimmages at the same time because there were certain moments where I was like, oh, I'm not used to seeing that. Like KJ operating from under center, not used to seeing that at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's super underrated. And there's somebody somewhere out there who tracks this. And I would like to get in touch with this person. Somebody probably does it for the NFL. But I would love to know the amount of hits that KJ takes when he is not the primary ball carrier, but he is holding it on the zone read. You know what I mean? And he Mm -hmm. gets blown up on that play because you have to treat him like he's the ball carrier. Mm -hmm. The big thing with KJ, with with Arkansas's outlook as a whole is – Is he going to stay healthy? Can you keep him healthy? That's the most important thing. It was a noticeably different offense last year when he he wasn't at his 100%, which I don't know how much of that he was at 100% last year with the amount of punishment he takes. And I wonder just how many times those hits, wherein he's not the ball carrier, How many times he feels those like late in the season, they add up. Those hits are legal, by the way, there's nothing wrong with those whatsoever, but that just kind of comes with the territory in that system. They're still going to have zone reads in this Dan Enos offense, but you saw on Saturday, you're actually going to get to see KJ hand the ball off and not worry about an sec edge rusher blowing him up every single time. What a crazy concept. That's huge for preserving his short, in long-term health, and I like that. KJ was doing an interview with the SEC Network crew, and he actually said that he's starting to like going under center more than shotgun, which is a weird thing to say because that is – That's crazy right there, yeah. You would hear that and go, well, KJ, we've seen you do some really good things out of shotgun, man. Like, you sure about that? But then you right. kind of think, all right. I understand if you, if you're thinking about it from a punishment standpoint, you're going to see the field a little bit differently. His drops are going to be different. Like the, 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 the tempo is going to be different. I I think how he can react pre snap is going to be different, but this system with Enos is the type that you can put on the shoulders of a veteran quarterback. You say KJ boom, like at this stage of your career, we trust that you can do this maybe two years ago. He's not running this. He's probably not running an offense that looks like this. But I I think after the improvements that he made last year as a passer, I'm really interested in seeing him take some of those more traditional dropbacks. Again, it's not going to be all the time, but he is still going to do that. You should be able to utilize play action in a different way where it's not just reading the safety off the zone read, you know, like reading the defensive end or something like that. Like there will be a different sort of processing that comes with that. But like, think about this. You get rocket single back set. Single back set, KJ's under center. little Maybe maybe got a tight end lined up, something like that, so you're not totally giving away your look, whatever you're doing. And KJ, lay action handoff to Rocket, one of the best running backs in the all of college football. You've got a receiver running a hitch and go. Boom, that play is undefeated in pickup. Not saying that play is undefeated in the SEC, but you can at least see that in the Danino's offense, whereas you're not seeing that in the Kendall Bryles offense. It's just different. So I like this for KJ. I do.
2: Yeah, I, I think, think also like you were right on the money about the hits too. And we talked about that briefly on the last podcast, as far as how, you know, KJ and we were talking about Jaden too, would take these hits and like their seat, they would kind of get broken down as the season goes on. And like, as you know, as bad, this is definitely like an old school football mentality, but I think every defensive coach at least will, you know, privately say this, that it's like when you're playing a guy like KJ, you know you want to make him feel it on those hits that you were talking about you know if you can legally hit KJ and you're playing against him you're going to do it every single time because you want him to be a little bit slower you want him to be a little bit hesitant you want him to not be his best athletically and then whenever he those hits start to add up you end up with a Hornsby playing against LSU in a game that KJ pretty easily I think could have won because the offense just couldn't move and so like that's the that's such a smart move for KJ's not only his health and longevity but also his effectiveness because to your point it's like every hit needs to be for a reason we can't just give them free shots at this quarterback who their best option of beating Arkansas is getting him off the field. You know? Yes, exactly. And it's, it's about now, what do you feel comfortable doing?
1: You know, maybe a couple of years ago, you weren't as comfortable having that element to your offense. You're, you're thinking to yourself almost every single play. If you're Kendall Bryce, was like, why would I not want to make the defense think that KJ is about to carry the football? Of course, I'd want to think that. But as you add that passing element is he continues to grow in that area. You got to be thinking about that as well. And so there, it is going to be a more versatile offense, I think, in terms of what they're going to try to do. I've talked about this before. I, they're going to crack the top 100 in pass attempts. They they absolutely will. Whereas that's that wasn't the game plan with Kendall Bryle. So different mm-hmm. stage of his career can have a, a different level of success. The Will Rogers' offense, is, you're, you're now the number one Kevin Barbe guy. Like, you are. You are officially on record. You are pro-pistol through and through. It's not going to be just the pistol, but – we're going to see a good amount of that. Um, there's going to be a learning that, curve.
2: Do you see that that bomb he threw, Cotter? I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that because I think okay. that's part of this. I think that's I'm part so of this. I'm so in, thing.
1: bro. I'm so ready. Yes. I, I figured you were you were watching the the, the play to Xavier Thomas. So you're just thinking to yourself like, all right.
2: Oh, yeah. Give Barbe me more, season.
1: Give me even more Kool-Aid. I, all the Kevin Barbe stock. Um, so the learning curve is going to be – some of these things seem really basic. Handing the ball off to a tailback. Looked like a challenge for Mississippi State in the early part of that spring game. We're like, mm-hmm. they're struggling with the exchanges, and you can kind of understand the whole hand the ball off to the running back thing not exactly a staple. Of the Mike Leach air raid, okay? Mm-hmm. That's that's gonna be that's gonna take some getting used to. Neither was the whole finding a tight end in space thing, you wouldn't What's find that? it. Th- Finding a tight end in your own uniform wasn't a thing with Mike Leach, okay? These things are new. These things are different. It's going to take getting used to. For us, it's going to take getting used to for Will Rogers, of course. I'm sure those offensive tackles from Mississippi State, maybe they aren't, but I'm sure there's part of them that's like, wait, I'm not just going to be out here on an island. I might be able to get a tight end to my left, tight end to my right. Maybe help me with a little chip. Sometimes the chip can hurt you, but maybe it's going to help you. Maybe you're not going to have a defensive end who can just pin, pin his ears back and just, line up and just bull rush you like, Hey, this could be good for me. Mm-hmm. Something that's going to start happening. Mississippi state. This is the point that I wanted to get to. And the, the the exact play that you brought out there was Davian Thomas. They're going to start facing more man coverage. They just have to, you're not going to be able to defend this, this offense, the same way that you could under leech understandably. So they're trying to do different things. They just are. So that means we're going to get more opportunities downfield. Like the one where Rogers is just like, Hey, I've got a little bit of time in the pocket. I've got a guy one-on-one downfield. So what if he's not necessarily somebody that's had a bunch of success at the SEC level, screw it. I got one-on-one coverage. I'm going to take a chance. And don't you know it? His guy goes up, makes a play on the football. Great, great play. I hope that Kevin Barbe has those deep looks as a big part of this offense, because we know that the air raid, the way that it is played under Mike Leach, it's all about just trying to to find these these windows, these pockets against zone coverage, and the defense's objective is going to be a little bit different against this against this offense. If you're allowing something over the top against a Mike Leach air raid, something has gone horribly wrong. That that shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't with the amount of speed that you should be able to have on the field. It's why only five of Will Rogers' 1,639 pass attempts at the college level have been completions of 50 yards. That's it. Okay. Oh boy. That's it. And that's not from a lack of ability. That's not, he can throw it deep. That's not necessarily the issue. It's what is the offense calling for? If you're Barbet, you have to make those teams respect the deep ball. But I like this offense for Rogers now at this stage of his career, just like we were talking about with KJ, because I think he can handle it. And it might actually be a little bit freeing to see some of these windows that are different. And he's going to make some mistakes. I do think that's going to be the case but I think he's gonna grow, and I think he's kind of got the right mindset to be able to be all in with it. Even if he, there are some moments early on where we're like, oh man, he's got like he had like a three interception game. We're not used to seeing Will Rogers do that. You're gonna have to take the good with the bad, but I do think the long term fit kind of makes sense. How do you feel about this? And were you like, re, did you retweet
2: that like three or four times, even though it was somebody else's video? It was, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, not a great offensive showing from Mississippi State. Uh, Like you said, the handoffs, not super clean. Not great. But, but, but see, that's the thing. And I think you're right on the money here with these quarterbacks. It's two coaches that I think have a, a good amount of job security and they've decided to change their philosophy. And they put a lot of that processing and that burden, for lack of a better word, on these veteran quarterbacks, because if you didn't have that guy. J.J. Jefferson or um, Will Rogers, what you have is some other lesser guys who you've recruited to a different system. So like Hornsby is such a great example. I know that he's not part of the future there, but that's a guy that could not work in a standard offense because he can't throw yeah, the ball. Gone. Yeah, he's gone. No, he no, 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 I know. I know, but you would never recruit him in this offense. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. You would never, because he can't throw the ball. But you know, when you have a browse offense, it's like, yeah, this guy can run a little bit, maybe he can play quarterback. And so like, that's such a great example of you have to turn your whole roster over when you change that of something like you know, one like that uh, horizontal style or the air raid. Right. And, and so now when you have Rogers, when you have Jefferson, who have this, have shown this advanced processing ability. Now you get to bring in guys and say, okay, you can sit for a year. We can get you like under to understand the playbook because you don't have this schematic change between the guys who are on the roster, who are quote unquote veterans with, with, maybe bad experience or different reads right because that's the problem it's like getting trained in a different way is worse than no experience at all so often when a new coach comes in new offensive coordinator they'll bring in a transfer they'll bring in one of their guys because you need to spend a year or two getting guys up to speed so i think that's why like both of these moves made so much sense for two coaches that have job security but for different reasons didn't want to stay with what was there previously and I'm I'm in on on everything you said, and, and I think that's that's worth keeping in mind. I I don't think
1: that we're gonna see Will Rogers get benched or anything like that, especially at this, like going into year four as a starter. Right. I was I was watching Mike Wright in Mississippi State. I'm like, all right, Mike Wright's got some juice. I'm saying it again. Oh yeah. I'm just going back to it. Kind of a sneaky, nice insurance policy for Mississippi State to be able to have as well. And it's going to be a little bit of a different scheme fit in terms of what he's going to try and do and what he brings to the table. But saw, saw, saw some of those moments on Saturday where you're like, OK, i, I I'm glad that it, they at least have something like this. Um, I, I do think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. There will be some ups and downs early. OK, Tennessee. Nico Iamaliava. Oh, let's go. Crushed he's it. officially made it. If, if I could pronounce your name, start to finish, no pause, we're good. Nico Yamaleava, he is going to threaten Joe Milton for QB1 status out of the gate. That's an overreaction. That's an overreaction. It is. Um, I say that as someone who really liked what we saw from Nico on Saturday. I, Jordan Rogers brought this up, and I was thinking the same exact thing as he said it. Nico has a really good sense for when to roll out. As a guy who is an early enrollee true freshman, he doesn't come across as anxious, but some of those instincts to buy time and, and make a play downfield, I, I don't want to say that he's already there because it's a spring game and he's not live. You get it, but I was I was really impressed seeing how he moved to his right and either kept kept it with his legs and you know extended the drive or made an on-target throw. He had this one on the right sideline, his best throw of the day he had this one where he's he, the play. He gets pressure in the middle. It's kind of like Tennessee's. I don't think Tennessee was like blitzing or anything like that, but it was pocket was collapsing. He rolls out to his right and it almost looks like he's throwing it away or it's going to be a really low percentage throw. It's like 30 yards on a line down the field, down the right sideline. And you're like, all right, I, I get the five-star. I, I I understand this. This checks out. Not a whole lot of dudes making that type of throw. Do it in a game, then we can talk. Do it in a big-time game, then we can talk. But that was still a a pretty ridiculous moment. Uh, More of that, please and thank you. Having said that, he's not operating that tempo at the speed that Joe Milton can. That's something that we talked about when we had Adam Sparks on the podcast. Um, We saw some touch from Mr. Joe Milton. We saw that touch. I'm going to try and keep an open mind. Because we've said a lot of things about Joe Milton on these airwaves. We really have most of which have been negative. I'm going to try and keep an open mind because we're going to not write off quarterbacks when they're in their early twenties returns have been promising. I, I do think he really understands this offense and recognizes the why year three running this system Joe Milton will be running it because Josh Heupel wants to see this experiment play out. He's not going to start Nico from the jump unless there's something that happens with Milton off the field, injury, you name it. That's just not going to be the case. You ideally do not have true freshmen starting from the jump in this league. And it's super rare at the power five level to see a coach say going into week one. Yes, let me start this true freshman. Interesting. Speaking of that, Sark comes out after the spring game, says yours is my guy. That's our starter. Pretty clear to see, he's the guy. uh No QB battle in Austin for the time being. I still have all Mike.
2: When you were shares, do you still have all? You didn't sell, did you? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm big on him. And it's funny because like that's where it's like I'm so glad to be on this podcast and kind of like because you get to the comments of those and it's like why you don't want Arch Manning? Then it's like dude, we're like. Four steps ahead of that it's like you don't understand the timeline you don't understand this whole thing of course they're gonna start quitting yours like that would be so bad for them to just start arts from day one so like yeah i it's so funny because to me i thought that was like sign sealed and delivered i thought we moved on and people are legitimately shocked and i'm like this while why you guys are you know keep listening to the pod because god knows what he's talking about
1: but <laughs> well, you were just gonna hit the portal spring of 2023 it's
2: no he's not no he's not okay
1: and even la- like last year it didn't even play out the way that that you thought it would but Point being, your two highest-rated quarterback recruits, both of whom have been on campus, who have looked the part, who have done what their teams have wanted them to do, they're not in line to start from the jump. They're, they're just not. That's Even though quarterback, it seems like it's getting younger, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, I can't say I possessed Joe Milton shares, but I do find myself buying back in. A little bit, as long as we're being realistic, as long that's the key to remember, keep those expectations in check. I'm not getting out the Heisman. I'm not doing the Joe Moorhead, telling him to get a spot on his (laughs) mantle ready for his Heisman. We're not doing that to him. He's not Nick Fitzgerald in this spot. But I do think that there is a path for him to have some success in this offense and to to keep the starting job.
2: I'll say that. Yeah, and I think like, you know, if you go back to I think it was the bowling green game, like I believe he started over Hooker, like game one under Hypo, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was yeah, they started game one against the Bowling
1: Green team that was really bad and went a long time without doing anything in the passing game And even that one after it comes out like gangbusters and looked really, really good. And then you're reminded, oh yeah, this is uh this is a project, this is a work in progress. And that was a bowling green team who was very very bad Sorry. that year and that was the first <laughs> sign that maybe
2: maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of our skis with joe milton but point being like that's the type of trust that josh heupel by default had over him is that he was like let's start this dude over hidden hooker <laughs> we know hooker was awesome so like point being anyway, I was like i don't know if, if uh you know bazooka joe could win this this job it's like bro if if uh High point at his brothers, See, would have had the job for like three years. Just hooker outplayed him enough times And talk about you know the, the Florida game and stuff specifically. It's like, yeah, like you you gotta he kind of almost reluctantly gave it to him, and then it was off to the races, and there, all the great things they did. And but the cool thing is that was so perfect for Milton, who like we've talked about as a guy who's a little bit of a project, but you see his performance in the bowl game, you've seen his performance like as he's kind of tamped it down. And and you know, sometimes like I remember Trent Dilfer talking about this. It's not that the the um the arm strength you have, but it's the ability to Throw have different throws at the correct speed. And so sometimes guys, you know, get enam- enamored with the Jay Cutler's, Matt Stafford's and stuff like that. But really it's about having kind of like mid plus arm strength and ball placement. We know that Joe Milton has amazing arm strength, but hopefully he's had the amount of time to coach those other things, which are more of like timing things, because he has the whole arsenal. He just needs to get in rhythm. And with that offense, I mean, if you're in rhythm, you can beat Alabama. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's that's going to be the big question with him. Is, is he going to... To show those those traits week after week because the standard is higher now. The standard mm-hmm. is absolutely higher. And there is, now that we know, and now that we've seen Nico in a somewhat live setting, there is still going to be that urgency. And the second it goes wrong for Milton, and that's the difference between Milton's situation and Hooker's situation, Hooker didn't have that guy looking over his shoulder. All right. They're not chanting for Taven Jackson <laughs> now at Indiana. They're not chanting for him in the same way that they're chanting for you know for for Hooker. Like uh, Jackson Davis, by the way, I, I, you get what I'm saying though. Like yeah. they're not chanting for him in the same way that, that they will obviously want Nico if they have like a bad week of the Joe Milton experience. So just yeah, something worth remembering. Okay. The one that you were waiting to get to uh, Florida's offense is a serious cause for concern. I think that's a proper reaction. I do. It was pretty rough. It was pretty rough. Um, I, I'll, I'm going to confess something here. Did not watch it live on Thursday night, was too busy being, um, trying to be a somewhat decent husband. And we had like a million things to do around the house and nursery and stuff like that. So I ended up watching the replay on Friday in its entirety, Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. And it was maybe better that I wasn't watching in the moment because I wasn't as reacting to it. So this is somebody that had like the full day of seeing the comments. And I could have had the perspective of like, oh, maybe a day later, it's not as bad as like what people are saying. No, it was pretty rough. And I get it. Like Austin Armstrong, Florida's 20 something defensive coordinator. He's doing everything in his power to win that game. There's zero rhythm to the passing game still. Zero rhythm. It's hard to run tempo if you can't complete passes and move the chains. I thought Mertz looked like what I expected. Love that he has more poise in the pocket than Jack Miller, but the lack of touch for someone this experienced is pretty frustrating. There, There was a throw to Henderson where if he just hits him in stride, it's six. And even if it's not, and if it's like a step behind him or something, he's probably still going up and making that play, but he just did not have that touch to be able to drop it in a bucket like you would hope a guy would in that spot when his receiver has a step. If Mertz was truly the best quarterback on the board in the portal, based on the evaluation of Billy Napier and his assistants, like they said, they need a new evaluation process. They do. Or alternatively, they need to grant all of us access to these reps that Graham Mertz is apparently getting that nobody else is seeing. And just the Florida staff is the only one seeing these reps. Mm-hmm. Um, Miller doesn't have reps, which is fine, but it shows. He he locks into one guy. He hit a ball that he threw right before the half where he just decided, yeah, screw it. I'm going to throw the eight yard out. I'm going to try and get some more yardage. And I don't know if he just didn't read the coverage at all, but it sh- it was a dropped pick six that could have gone the other way and been a catastrophic play right before the half, a la Anthony Richardson against Georgia 2021. Um, so Napier said afterwards, plan is we're going to get a quarterback in the portal. That's the plan. Good. Good because Trevor Etienne is going down a very Tank Bigsby-like path of potentially being a three-year dude to deserved better selection, and I don't yep. want that for Trevor Etienne. I don't. Maybe Devon A-Chain, more accurate comp, kind of his style, his skill set a little bit. I can see that. But outside yeah. of Etienne, Montreal Johnson, like, well, I'm looking at this offense going, like, there's just not a lot you can hang your hat on. And even those guys, you're kind of wondering, are they the mercy of this offensive line who, oh, by the way, lost his best player? with Osiris Torrance and they lost, what do they lose, lose like four starters? I mean, like you're just yeah. kind of wondering what's, what's the identity. What's, what's the identity of this offense? Cause it can't just be play good defense and hope for the best. We saw that with the must champ era stuff, but I don't know, like not good when lanes out here, chirping
2: you, in the Middle of a seven to seven game in the fourth quarter, that was listen. Lane is he, he's uh, the greatest uh, promo cutter of all time because that made me turn it on. I was like, Buddy, this seems like must see TV. Uh, you're right, it's a Thursday. I was like, Okay, uh, and so, point being, like, yeah, I mean, okay, the takeaway from bad offense can't be good defense. I don't know what we've seen in the last six or seven years that's made us think that Florida's playing good defense. Um, the thing that I wonder about, and it's exactly what we've talked about before, it's exactly what you just said, is like. Billy, I think Billy's style works. I think he just needs to do it. Like you can't have these quarterbacks that are just all over. Like going, going from what they had to Graham Mertz is just so wild. I mean, from a receiver standpoint, from everything, and it's like, do you just kind of sort by like you're going into Madden and you just sort by player rating and free agents? So you're just like, oh, this guy's a ninety-five. I'll take him. And it's like. That just doesn't feel like his in like the timing part of his offense that neither of these guys have had. Like, give me like a mid on time quarterback in this offense and they'll probably be fine. But they have these like risk prone quarterbacks making these easy throws look hard. And so I don't get that. But the big thing I want to say is like something that we talked about literally on the last podcast is, yeah, okay go, I guess, get a quarterback or whatever they need some receivers dog. Like poor piece of man, that guy has been like just by himself in every game I've ever seen him play. And I feel like they need to get these guys some help because even with good quarterback play, I don't, I don't see the guy out there other than him, who again, like we've seen it before that can actually make a quarterback's life look easier. Um, So it's really just hard to evaluate anything that's going down because from a scheme standpoint, you're not sure. From a quarterback standpoint you really don't know where they're going. And then it's like, well, even if we had those figured out, we don't know if we have the receivers to make this work. So it's just hard to evaluate anything at this point, you know? It is. And yeah, I mean, it was great that Ricky Pearsall's coming back. You'll hear
1: Doring talk him up a bit as well, somebody that he's really high on coming into this year. You just need more than that.
2: If you're that to run do this the better. That dude, I, he's electric. I've seen him play so well. And then the second best dude is like, who's this dude? Yeah, The Florida State game was the ultimate
1: dudes who deserve better. Oh, like yeah. Yeah. It was um, him
2: and me and you out there. The I know. Item. There are <laughs> like, their, their
1: other like six, six of their top yeah. seven receivers were out. I don't even know how that's possible, but they just need help. They need help in a lot of areas. And I think if you're watching that going now, nah, we're good. This guy's going to pop. This guy's going to pop. I'm like, I don't know what you're holding on to anymore. I, I think this team has a lot of question marks and that's why we are going to be critical. Florida is not anywhere near ultimate good vibes team. Maybe we'd be having a different conversation if it looked like things really got going offensively, but that was just not the case all day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Trey Knox is going to be one of the best tight ends in America. I think that's an overreaction. I'm going to get pushed back on this one, probably more than any, any of these that I've done so far because South Carolina last spring game, he looked great in his new home. He did. Game high, six catches. The rapport with Spencer Rattler looks really solid. You can sell yourself on a lot of things working in his favor. Dal Loggins was coaching tight ends at Arkansas, so now your new play caller is your former position coach at your previous school. Not a Listen, lot of trans
2: Tight end enough. usage in the SEC, buddy, is at an all-time high between Georgia, Alabama, LSU, him, it- Arkansas is starting to use tight end. We got so many tight ends in this place.
1: (laughs) There are, I mean, Georgia will just come out here and just use three tight end sets. So yeah, I mean, everybody's using tight ends. It's the cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to feel like they have that guy. And that is such a popular breakout candidate selection to go to tight end. And uh, look like he's going to be featured a lot, probably in this offense. So I'm not really saying that, that that's not going to happen because again, When your new play caller is your former position coach at your previous school, you're in a good spot, right? Okay. Uh, They need that number two option to be able to compliment juice. Wells, who just kind of picked up right where he left off. That guy is phenomenal. He's going to be so fun to watch this year. I think whether South Carolina fans want to admit it or not, part of the Trey Knox banging the drum is associated with wanting to win the breakup. Shout out Carly Pierce. They want to show, oh, Jaheim Bell, you left? No big deal. Trey Knox is a stud. We'll be just fine. No big deal. Beamer said afterwards, we'll be much better in the tight end room than we were last year. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. But I've heard this before with Trey Knox. I've I've been waiting on that breakout forever, man. Here is your shocking Trey Knox stat that South Carolina fans are going to be like, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. His last touchdown against power five competition came in October of 2021. What game was that? That was the game that we did. And it just met more the 52 to 51 game at Ole Miss where, and they were just tossing out touchdowns like candy. Okay. Yep. That was his only touchdown against power five competition in the last three seasons. For a guy who you'd think would be this great red zone threat as a converted receiver, and you can maybe line him up in a bunch of different spots, can you know you're able to disguise some looks with them? don't think you can look at things like that and just say, well, you know, it's the scheme he was playing in. You know, he, he didn't have this. Guys had four years. He's had four years, and yeah, he had his. He, he's he's had his, his his share of you know trying to figure out the offense and. You know, you credit a guy for being willing to embrace a a role of a position change, going from receiver to tight end, all those things. But man, I I just don't think it's a guarantee that just because he's going to South Carolina, just because Dow Loggins is his offensive coordinator, that he's destined for stardom. South Carolina last year had a lot of issues getting the tight end involved. And yes, new scheme. That was Marcus Satterfield. I get it. You're hoping that that Trey Knox is going to be used in a totally different way just think a year five guy who's had this many opportunities to establish himself is probably not going to pop in the way that some are expecting. So I know I saw all the buzz. I saw the buzz after Saturday night. I get it. I get it. I talked to an Arkansas fan about Trey Knox, the Trey Knox experience. That's what I would say.
2: Connor, we have an issue here because I have no choice but to stay in this guy. I just looked him up to make sure he was like exactly the dude I the thought. Pet Smart, the PetSmart ad? Yeah. Not just the PetSmart ad. Everything about this guy is just, he's such a lad. Every picture of him, he has this beaming smile. When he committed to South Carolina, it was in one of those comically oversized hats. He has a PetSmart and IL deal. I just can't say a negative word about this guy. So I'm going to need to remove myself from this
1: conversation. <laughs> Hope the best for Trey Knox. Really do. Hope that guy is awesome. That would be fun to watch. Just not totally sold. And like, think about this last year too. Think about this. Spencer Radler, your quarterback, who is dealing with offensive line issues. The tight ends that you had on your roster. Jaheim Bell, a guy that we all feel pretty talented. Pretty talented, but you had to get him touches playing tailback because you couldn't get him touches playing tight end. Also, Austin Sogner. Both guys who who left your program, but were kind of ideal for what you would think, okay, if you're going to be struggling up front on the offensive line, you're going to have a quarterback who's going to want to dump it off to the tight end. Not really been Spencer Rattler's thing. It's not. And maybe the spring game, maybe maybe that's a sign of things to come. Maybe I'm going to look really dumb. And maybe he's going to be the second best tight end in the SEC outside of Brock Bowers. But it should really be that we shouldn't even count Brock Bowers in that category. That's not even fair to Temethi. include him among mortals. <laughs> yeah, get get out of here with that. So I, I just I think expectations for Trey Knox should be tempered. And I felt myself kind of being like eh, when I saw some of those comments on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. All right. A&M is going to be more of the same with Bobby Petrino. I think that's an overreaction. I think mean, that's an overreaction, or maybe it's an underreaction. I, I don't know. Pretty slow first half offensively. They had six consecutive possessions without a point after they came out looking really good. Aniah Smith, Evan Stewart, both getting the ball in space. You're like, all right, kind of fine. Final score kind of showed a more offensive game than it probably was, but I do, in my heart of hearts, believe that AM will look different offensively as long as Bobby Petrino is the one calling plays. TBD on that, but... Mm-hmm. You saw some of the pre-snap motion. I, I liked seeing that early. A M, as we know, basically did that against the big boys. They saved that. That was the, the special stuff for LSU <laughs> and Bama last year. Nobody else. You don't get all the good plays. Motion. They
2: just saved them up in the little bag. They put them in a the safe. And Jimbo was like, hey, you know what? Those are you gotta let those mature. All right. They're yep. like
1: CDs. You gotta let them mature. <laughs> you don't bust out the best bottle of wine when your neighbor Carl comes over. Okay. You don't. You save that bad boy for when a politician comes over, when mm-hmm. your boss comes over. You just, you got to be very selective about that fine bottle of wine, okay? You got to be really smart about that. They're going to bust out the good bottles of wine a little bit more often, okay? I think they will. They they have to. The best spin zone, and we saw this with a if your offense doesn't look like what you hope and expect it will look like, just say, hey, they're not going to show everything. Spring game. The spring bring him. And you know what? That's kind of right. That's kind of right. If you have a new offense, are you going to want to show every single thing that you're going to be doing? No. You're going to probably not want to operate at that exact sort of tempo. But I think we're going to see that. I mean, we're, we're going to see AM look differently. We just have to. I, I just come back to that. I come back to the comments we've seen from AM players. And I, Smith, was talking about the speed that they're going at. It has to feel night and day to see some of those looks in practice and even if jimbo is awkward about it and he's just like not willing to totally talk about the duties and and who's calling what play and, and all those things i i just think the product on the field will look different i i had some moments in this one too and i guess this isn't entirely related to that but i had some moments where i thought about last year about how i was trying to squash some of the the preseason evan stewart buzz with the mm-hmm. expectations true freshman receiver in in the jimbo offense and then watching the spring game, I'm like, wait a minute. If he has a competent play caller and a competent quarterback, can he lead the SEC in receiving year two? Uh, I, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to rule it out. I, I'm not going to say I'm going to – that might have to be a bold prediction ahead of the season. That won't be that bold for a fans, but to pick somebody not named Juice Wells,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not named Malik Neighbors to be the SEC's leading receiver, not named Brock Bowers, that would probably constitute as bold.
2: Yeah, I mean, quietly they have like a really nice group of weapons over there at A&M. Not quietly, it's from all the recruiting money, but um, it's not like they snuck up on anybody. But point being, like if you look around, like they had a deep shot to like a tease, I believe is his name, um, like just a different guy that we haven't even talked about yet. So it's like you know the good thing is I'm not saying this to be mean. It's literally the truth. It can't be worse. Like with that group of players yeah. and that amount of talent, you simply have to sleepwalk to eight or nine wins, and eight or nine wins would be twice as many as you had last year. Oh, uh, well, I guess they got to. Yeah, they did get to five, didn't they? (laughs) Anyway, yes, <laughs> so, will. yes, they did. How did they get to five? Did they, you know, we don't need to talk about that. That's okay. in the rear view. Um, right. but point being, uh, it's you know, it's it's it, they, they're gonna look significantly better. And Jimbo's Jimbo will be up for coach of the year. He's getting the hey, he really turned this ship around. Who sunk it? Who's to say? Oh, uh, yes. but point being, like, I, I just think that, like, like it's exactly what we kind of, not we okay, we actually were pretty correct on AM. We didn't think they'd be this sorry, but we were like, ah. but the logic behind the voters was, well, they have all this talent, like, they can't mess this up. And it's like this year with Bobby Petrino, as funny as that sounds, it's like anyone but Jimbo, I think, would be enough to at least get you above water. So, yeah, quietly getting a little bit excited about the weapons. Quietly, you know, you suddenly go from Haynes King <laughs> to maybe you got a couple of quarterbacks that have some reps. And, you know, so even with an injury, you're not even in the position you were last year because you saw so many quarterback issue, uh, issues that people got reps. So that is – you're exactly right.
1: And if, <laughs> if, if you're holding out – hope for nothing but that you got those guys reps last year. They should get more space to be able to operate in this offense. And maybe they'll just go a bit of a faster speed and not necessarily at the, the, you know, the speed that Lane Kiffin was critical of talking about on Saturday. Um, Speaking of lane, how about this? Carson Beck and Walker Howard are going to be QB one at their respective schools. I think that is a proper reaction for Georgia and an overreaction for Ole Miss. Okay, Okay. so let's start with the Georgia part. I love me some Carson Beck, I really do. I am trying to calm my own expectations watching how comfortable he is in that offense because darn it if that guy doesn't look like the best version of Stetson Bennett. The poise year four in this offense, which again, new play caller, I get it but it's still going to be the same base offense. They're going to do similar things to what they did with Tom Monk and that, that much we have heard about the Mike Bobo scheme. I just like so many of the things that he does. He never seems rattled when that protection with the first teamers held in the first half you're like, this guy will just pick you apart. He fits the ball into tight windows over the middle. You even see the touch on the, the running the wheel route with Bowers and they're hitting him over the top. And you're like, that looks like the play that they would just run with Stetson Bennett. That's just the same exact thing. And I get it. Like, I, and I'm really intrigued by Brock Vandegrift, Georgia fans, you know, that ball's coming out differently. It is. It comes out differently with those two guys and Vandegrift does a lot of things really well. And if you were thinking to yourself, we need a guy who can make plays on the move because our protection might be a bit of an issue. We might have to find a guy who can just kind of make something out of nothing. Then I think Brock Vandegrift would have a legit case. I I really do. But I don't think that's going to be the case for Georgia. And I think they're an offensive line that's going to hold up really, really well. You know, you've got those great playmakers on the outside. Carson Beck's your guy. I think Carson Beck is QB1. I felt good about that coming into spring. I feel even better about it after all the things we've heard about him, after seeing those reps on display, how comfortable he was in the offense. Uh, I, I think he's going to be the guy. And look, if Vandegrift hits the portal, the can of worms that would open, like, all right, that's that's kind of the price you pay if you're a program like Georgia. But if nothing else, you should feel really good about everything that Carson
2: Beck has shown you as a guy in year four, going into this thing. Yeah, I mean, if you want someone that's you know on time and in the scheme of the offense and can score touchdowns, you know, you know, Carson <laughs> Beck. If the, you know, if the cocaine bear wanders into the middle of the field, you need someone to kill it with a spear. Brock Vandergriff, you know, yes. so you got to keep him on the on the sidelines, just sure. as like an off the bus guy, you know, like hey, don't don't mess with Carson Beck because this guy will come in and wrestle you. I like that. I'm I'm perfectly on board with that. Brock Vandergriff. Intimidating dude, no
1: doubt. Most intimidating ginger in college football is he up there? <laughs> this is the content be. we need from you, buddy. <laughs> He's got to <laughs> be. Look, uh, I'll be I'll be keeping a running tally of that. Um, he is currently number one in my my ginger intimidation power rankings. Uh, look, I, I look, I, I think that this situation. Is entirely different at Ole Miss than, than the one at Georgia. That's followed a little bit more of a of a traditional path, or I guess it's kind of non traditional with the way that you know we typically see blue chip quarterbacks in the scheme. Usually these guys are transferring out, but Ole Miss situation is very unique. Walker Howard looked awesome. He looked great, and I was happy to see that. You'll get to, well, we're going to get to it with with CD in a bit here, but some very positive things said about Walker Howard after seeing him up close. But I do think this job is Spencer Sanders and Jackson Dart. I think that's the plan. I think that's the mindset that Kiffin has. I don't know that Lane has his mind made up just yet. I I really don't. I I think he likes being able to test different variables. And the variables he was trying to test on Saturday was, what does it look like with these two guys when things are rolling? Because Mm -hmm. he wanted to see, how do you handle success? Can you do all the different things that we're asking you to do? You knew they were going to have some success because he tells Pete Golding, we're playing four base defenses. We're not going to have any sort of blitzes. Lane's out here yelling when guys are tackling too hard. There was a very favorable set of circumstances for the
2: offense See, this seven. is exactly what I was talking about. We want to see it a spring game. Kill guys yes. to fall down on the tackles. Make the quarterbacks look. Get them to run at fifty percent speed. Really make these quarterbacks and offenses super confident. This is Lane's doing it right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh no doubt. No doubt about it. It was a fun spring
1: game to be able. Yeah. To. I felt like I felt like every time if I if I went to the bathroom or if I went to go to get a drink or I can't remember which one was on at the same time. That was like kind of in the middle of a bunch of different ones. So if like I was watching one instead of that one, I felt like I was missing something all the time. But. Uh, I look, if you think that Jackson Dart is just QB one, without a doubt, no question in your mind, I think you watched Spencer Sanders on Saturday and went, Oh, Hmm. Maybe I rushed to judgment a little bit too much. There's a reason this guy started as many games as he did at Oklahoma state and was really, really good. And he's been dealing with the shoulder throughout, throughout spring. So that, that might've held him back. There was kind of the consensus that Dart was the guy, but I'll, I'll still take Spencer Sanders to win that job. I don't think that's a guarantee. I think Lane wanted to see how Jackson Dart was going to react to this situation and bring it in two guys that could legitimately push him. But man, he looked, he looked the part. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever, but Walker Howard don't think he's going to end up being QB one to start unless we get some sort of weird portal injury combination thing that happens
2: yeah i think you know if you're still on the dart train it's one of those like you know we talked about it all season last year that lane just seems so frustrated and like he didn't get what he he not to say he paid for him but he didn't get what he picked off the shelf with him it's like a, he had this vision of him that just never showed up in oxford and you know maybe this competition has brought the best out of him but i do think that walker howard you know i i think he's functionally qb2 because when you think about the resources you would invest in a guy it's like walker howard will be here in the future so we might as well so um and yeah like to your point um you know, talking about Spencer Sanders, like, you know, this is an Oklahoma State team that was knocking on the door of the college football playoff. Uh, obviously, lost that big 12 championship to Baylor, but like, you know, he's been in bigger moments, honestly. And so I think, you know, he has that actual like the thing that you would hope out of Jackson Dart. He kind of has more of it. Um. So point being, yeah, I think that, you know, to Lane's always been a gamesman. He's always been a person who understands how everything kind of works. And I think that there's no benefit to him to name anything, especially given that Jackson Dart has, you know, could either check out or uh it request the waivers kind of like we were talking about. Like so I think that you know with Walker Howard it's like, well buddy, you just transferred, you're kind of stuck here. And, and so we'll stick you third because you, you can't go anywhere. But there's probably a little bit of understanding like you see how he's playing. Lane, like you know. So I think that I think like one is solidified and I think two and three are where the movement can probably happen.
1: I don't know that Lane is going to name a starter until he absolutely has to because right. And and that doesn't even have to do with the, the windows, like because it's not like these guys are gonna gonna up and leave and go play somewhere else immediately with the way that the windows are are set up now. But I still think he wants to see this play out and he liked mm-hmm. seeing what he saw on Saturday when these guys were, were rolling it. And by the way, Jackson Dart looks looks good himself. He yeah. definitely looks good himself. The turnovers cutting that down in spring has been a huge area of emphasis. But was that a good game? Reaction or proper reaction <laughs> or overreaction? I feel yeah, like I think I that's to... everything. Yeah. I should probably come back to this and do it myself every single time I get too high on a guy. I think that's a good mental practice practice for those of us that watch these games a little bit too closely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before we kick it to Chris Doring, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. Sports betting, not legal in a bunch of states in the SEC. You know this. I want to talk to you about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. They have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com Underdog. You can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play in these contests. You can pick higher or lower for different players. Really similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Yes, legal, live, all those different SEC states where sports betting is not legal. Underdog it is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room. Maybe you're watching a little NBA playoffs, want to get in on the action. Underdog is a great place to do that. You can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog and take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. a $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. All right, here is CD. <laughs> I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the hardest-working analyst in college football, Chris Doering, CD, uh, I didn't realize that SEC Network had you lined up to do three spring games in an eight-day stretch. Auburn, then Florida with a Thursday night deal, and then Ole Miss – You've officially risen to number one in my gritty power rankings, which i it's a very fluid list that Jacob Hester is also on. I don't know who else is on it, but you're number one right now.
0: I thought I was always on that gritty list. I mean, that's <laughs> one of the adjectives that's most commonly used when you talk about, uh, you know, the the white receiver. And we've always made jokes about, uh, you know, the, the adjectives that are thrown around. But gritty, you know, whether it's the uh, the fullback or running back that uh, Hester played or or myself, you know, that that's a term that we've heard quite a bit.
1: You were all over it, though, and the coverage was outstanding. I mean, it was great to be able to to see some of these things that we've been talking about for a while. And, you know, I want to dig into your perspective on on all three of those because I think there were some reactions that were – and that's the subject of today's pod is, like, what's a proper reaction and what's an overreaction to to a spring game? Uh, True or false, Lane saw that you were going to be on the call. He was, you know, out here chirping Florida in the middle of the fourth quarter of that game. And uh, he saw what you went through in those first two games, wherein points were um, at a premium, we'll say. And he decided that he just wanted to give you a show.
0: You know what? I would like to think that it was for me. But um, knowing, you know, when you have offensive minded head coaches, particularly guys that are play callers, uh, typically they like to structure it. So the offense has some success. And that, that was what was kind of surprising to me. Like, don't get me wrong. I am really excited about Austin Armstrong at my alma mater, new defensive coordinator, 29-year-old guy that's an up and comer. I'm, I'm hoping we can keep him at Florida for a long time because he's going to be in demand as you've already seen his services uh being shopped for by a number of different programs, but um I do think that uh it, it's it's exciting to see what he's going to bring to the defensive side this year. But at the same time, you know, when you're you're breaking in, you know, try two new quarterbacks that you're trying to to figure out who's going to be the starter, you're you're trying to sell everybody that the the offense is going to be better than it was last year with a quarterback that's going to be drafted in the top five picks coming up here in a couple of weeks. Like having some success throwing the football would have been nice, and uh, I don't feel like it was set up for much of that with the uh, the blitzing and and uh, all the different looks that the defense was giving the offense on Thursday night.
1: Yeah, you saw different perspectives because Lane went in the other direction and he tells Pete Golding, Hey, you're going to run your four base defenses. Yeah. And I want to see blitzes here. Lane's like yelling at people for tackling too hard in this game. And it was a very different perspective. All three quarterbacks. For Ole Miss, on the other hand, looked good. They looked really comfortable. Who do you think of that group, which includes now Walker Howard, Spencer Sanders, and the incumbent starter, Jackson Dart? Who of those three did you feel like looked the best? Because it felt like all throughout spring, we're hearing the buzz about Jackson Dart. Yeah. He's making these improvements, only one turnover in the spring, but Spencer Sanders dealing with the shoulder injury. Like, What, what did you take away from watching that play out?
0: Let's go back to the offseason. Um And I imagine you're a lot like me because when you you hear the news that first Ole Miss is going out and get Walker Howard from LSU uh, and then they're adding Spencer Sanders, the instant reaction is, wow, they're really not happy with the job that Jackson Dart did. But in talking with the coaches, they felt like he made a lot of progress throughout the season last year. By the end of the year, he was a lot better in terms of his footwork and accuracy and has even improved that more uh, since the season ended. And, um, you know, it was quite the contrary and listening to how spring practice had gone uh when we talked to the coaches like they felt like Jackson Darts come a, a, a thousand miles from where he was initially and and that footwork is allowing him to make quicker decisions it's allowing him to throw with more accuracy he's improved his his deep balls um and, and it was uh kind of a story of just not knowing what you had with Spencer Sanders because of the limitation and the injury that lingered from his time at Oklahoma State didn't get a chance to to practice much and you felt like Walker Howard was the the quarterback of the future that he's done some really good things but just still kind of young still kind of new to the offense so my immediate reaction was that Jackson Dart was going to be the guy that that was going to win it and then to see Spencer Sanders come out and do the stuff that he did uh with not having a ton of reps during the spring was pretty surprising so I don't know how you distribute the reps. I don't know how you hold on to all three of those guys. I do feel confident that Walker Howard is in a place that he loves and that he's going to be the long-term solution. But in the interim, I'm interested to see how they handle Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders.
1: Yeah, I get it with Jackson Dart too. Like, And I, I get that they were going to add quarterbacks no matter what. There's just some stuff with him that I don't like, and I, and I get why Ole Miss fans, they want to stick up for him because this time last year, you're thinking this is Matt Corral 2.0. He's even wearing the number two, which I don't really know about that, but like I saw the tweet from Brad Logan quoting Dart afterwards saying that he's focused on developing to try and become a first-round pick. I, I don't like hearing that. You're a second semester sophomore who just watched his coach bring in two really talented quarterback options, and one of whom is three years older than you. He's more experienced than you. A- am I being a bit too critical of his confidence, or, or is there something to be said for that? Is that the mindset that he has to have in order to win this job?
0: Did, did Matt Corral not have that confidence? I mean, for a while, we thought the confidence was unfounded with him until he had kind of that breakout season and and became you know the dual threat quarterback that we knew him to be. Um, I think you have to have confidence to play under Lane Kiffin. I mean, Lane Kiffin's not short on confidence himself, and and so um, I don't have a problem with that. I do think there was a, a fire lit underneath Jackson Dart bringing in Walker Howard and, and Spencer Sanders. Um, there's a, a a sense of urgency that I don't know existed there before. I don't love the comments either. I think maybe you should focus on winning the job and and being the best quarterback you can be for the Ole Miss program, and let the rest kind of take care of itself down the road. But um you know I, I i think any of those three are very capable of running that offense and um just to to see where that that offense has evolved um you know you think about Lane Kiffin you think about him throwing the football a bunch but it's a run first offense i mean you 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 return uh quinchon Judkins, who was you know maybe one of the biggest surprises coming out of nowhere last year as a freshman that ran for over 1500 yards uh Ulysses bentley's back and healthy again and and seems to be um that 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 nice compliment that you need. Um, Those guys, one of the the things we kept talking about in the broadcast was the emphasis of getting them involved in the passing game, and it was clear from the get-go that they were going to be receivers that were being targeted a bunch. You saw a lot of pick routes getting those guys open on the sidelines. So it's a a dangerous offense. It's an ever-evolving offense, and um, I'm really impressed with Charlie Weiss Jr. I I hadn't had much time with him, but sitting down on Friday with him last week and talking about where the offense is, where the quarterbacks are, where the evolution of this offense is going. They are in really good hands with Lane Kiffin and those two coordinators with uh, Pete Golding on the defense defensive side and and Charlie West Jr. on the offensive side.
1: Yeah, it's weird. We spend so much time talking about the Ole Miss quarterbacks and, and even the running backs, but it seems like receiver has been a bit plug and play outside of Elijah Moore. I mean, you're kind of just like, all right, you just assume that they're going to have this taken care of. But the the most notable moment from Saturday with an Ole Miss receiver was the Chris Marshall thing. Um Lane being frustrated with Chris Marshall, the A&M transfer who comes in, former five-star guy. He was kind of wanted done at a had some issues off the field there. And uh, he didn't get the ball to the official in the manner that Lane wanted him to. And Lane's mic'd up with you guys. Yeah. And Lane says on a live mic, and he, know, and he knows what he's doing here. So I'm not, this wasn't like an accident, but Lane says, instead of a program where you huddle and wait 35 seconds to snap it, we've got to get him to get the ball to the official. We've got to teach him to do things our way. That's a nice little jab at Jimbo and him uh, not running the hurry up. Like that is clear in my opinion and you guys sounded like you kind of knew it on the broadcast.
0: Oh my gosh. I mean there were probably three or four different references between the two interviews that we had with him throughout the game uh of little shots that they were were taking or he was taking at uh A&M and Jimbo specifically. Um yeah, I don't I don't know what it is that's uh that that's created that ire that uh that Lane Kiffin has, but it's been a fun kind of uh bit of drama to to follow over the last year and and i just um you know i i I think it was a cool just the the timing of the interview having him on when that happened was cool for a couple reasons one i think you think about people like lane kiffin's loose and and doesn't necessarily demand a lot of of his players the same way that maybe some other coaches do but his attention to detail reminds me a lot of playing at florida with coach spurrier and 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 wanting guys to do things exactly the way that he's coached them to do in order for the offense to run the right way everything has to be perfect your depth on routes uh the 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 correct foot up at the line of scrimmage um all of these different things have to be perfect in order for the uh, offense to execute at the highest level and you know that's that's an instance where a young guy makes a mistake trying to bring Attention to himself. And in the end, he's he's costing the team because he's not getting to the line, not handing the ball to the official the way that they're coached to. So it was fun to see, you know, just how meticulous Lane Kiffin is when it comes to doing the little things correctly for that offense to run at the highest and most efficient level. I think there's a few things there.
1: I think stealing his defensive coordinator, DJ Durkin, the way that played out a couple of years ago, and how frustrated Lane was, felt kind of helpless with that. Stella's quarterback recruit too, like right the week of signing day. And that that's definitely part of it. I don't think lane particularly liked Jimbo's comments about everybody's running the same offense out here. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's not the case at all. And I think lane is just in in general, and this is going to sound like he just bows down to Saban. I think he's very defensive of Saban. And I think the whole Jimbo Saban beef, I think he definitely took Saban's side on that. And he's very protective of kind of that, that whole dynamic and, and the relationship there. But It is fascinating because we don't get a whole lot of these as CD picks up his pup. For those, like, all right, so when I go on with, this is going to sound weird for the podcast audience, but Mm -hmm. for those like who have maybe seen CD like a screenshot when he does like his serious XM show, CD just will always have his dog just rubbing, rubbing, what's your dog's name again? Butters butters that's a great yeah. name. just butters will just hop up on cd's lap and it's a big dog too that's not a sm- that's not a lap dog it's yeah. cd will just rub in the belly the whole time it's a great image for me he started
0: he started you know doing this when he was a little puppy you know and in order for me to keep him calm as i was doing the radio i had to keep him up in my lap and and just pet him the whole time and now as he's gotten bigger he thinks that's the the normal routine for him to sit on my lap while we do radio in here so i'm and starting the interview he's here at my Lap, just like need grab pawn at me trying to get my attention. So I get him up here on the lap so he can chill out a little bit and uh and we can do the rest of the interview. But um back back to what you were saying, like I I agree with you on all of those points. And I think maybe the most the thing that I think is the coolest is just how defensive he is of coach Saban and how much, even though you know you see the rat poison tweets and you see all the, the things that Lane has fun with 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 Coach Saban, I think he really Shows a lot of loyalty and respect and appreciation for what he did for his career, even to the point like you look at the hirings of of coaches. You know, he's got an assistant in in Charlie Weiss Jr. that was at Alabama, um, understands, you know, kind of the the, the structure of how you go about being successful, Um, going out and getting Pete Golding, who, you know, I think was. We're not talking enough about what a huge hire that was for Ole Miss in this program's future. Um, he is an amazing defensive, he's an amazing football mind in general. But um, I think he has a real comfort having those two guys as his coordinators, uh, specifically because of their time at Alabama and knowing, you know, what it takes to really be successful and, and what they're trying to build to replicate that in Oxford.
1: So Kiffin also, in, in addition to kind of making some headlines. During the day on Saturday, causing a little bit of a stir, uh, tweeting during the middle of that Florida spring game, the fire emojis, seeing a seven to seven score. Uh, I mean, Kiffin has been trolling Florida since what, I mean, what was 2009 when he's getting up there on stage at Tennessee and he's doing the the jabs at urban and all that stuff. Um, in defensive florida you brought this up before the austin armstrong thing is is part yeah. of it you've got a young defensive coordinator a guy who looks like he should be carded everywhere he goes because man <laughs> i don't even know if that guy's 29 like he looks like he's like 17 18 years old i mean you, you got this guy that's that's out here trying to prove himself and he, this it creates this atmosphere where you know you're seeing a different set of circumstances at the same time i think it's still okay to be frustrated with where this florida offense is and the problem right now and correct me if i'm wrong here it feels like the only position on offense where you'd really feel like, oh, you're good. You don't need to go into the portal is running back. And so much of that is dependent on the other stuff. And that's where I think this this unrest with Florida fans lies. And I think that's legitimate.
0: Honestly, all right, a couple things to to look at. And I saw the the scrimmage the Thursday before Florida spring game, and it looked very similar. You know, offensive line having a hard time blocking and providing protection for the quarterbacks. Um I think first and foremost. Billy Napier believes that he can manufacture yards running. He can create plays to 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 be able to run the football. So my thought is that hey, we're gonna run the football. We're gonna play great defense, right? And if if we can find a quarterback that can be a little bit more dynamic than then great. But those are the pillars of what our 2023 team are going to be built on. And you know, I I I the offensive line was missing two guys, the transfer from Baylor, uh Mazzucca. And the uh, the the former transfer from Louisiana waits. Those two guys, both out this spring, probably will be starters. So you're not getting a great view of what that looks like. It's also taken away some of the depth of the second team line. So that maybe didn't look as good either. But um, I think they feel good about the upgrade in talent around the quarterback position, and they don't need him to be whoever wins the job. Doesn't need to be Anthony Richardson like that. That team went as far as Anthony Richardson could carry them last year, but. I think they feel better about the overall pieces around the fact that they're in year number two of the offense, just understanding the language and the assignments and the splits and everything that they're supposed to be doing. Um, so I, I think they, they feel confident about that. And I honestly believe the defense is going to be a lot better. And I, and not because of, of, you know, just Austin Armstrong, Patrick Tony is a good friend of mine, the former defensive coordinator. He was stuck with a kind of a tough situation, inheriting a town, a group of, of, of guys on the defense that was, lacking talent and size, particularly up front, Florida's got to get back to recruiting those big defensive linemen that they've been known to have in the past and, and have some difference makers up there on the line of scrimmage that can create not only pass rush ability, but penetration against the run to try to disrupt a little bit more than they've been able to. Everything that has ailed Florida the last couple of years has started up front on the defensive line. They're starting to get some some guys that look more like SEC top tier dudes, but they still got to continue to, to try to do that whether that's you know mining the transfer portal or being able to go out and and sign guys that you can develop for those those positions. You're right. There's
1: something to be said for that. We do spend a lot of time looking at the quarterback situation. I think so much of that and our um so much so much of that angst surrounding the quarterback situation is kind of like bleeding into the identity of the team. And if you can't figure out the quarterback situation, then what what can this really be? Um I think right now you're looking at the Jack Miller, Bram Mertz situation. And it's about what you, I think. What conservative approaches, like myself, were forecasting and you know you look at Miller and he still looks like a one read guy given the limited amount of reps I think that's kind of understandable whereas Mertz looks like a guy who can actually work through his progressions but at the same time you're still hoping that he can be something that he really wasn't in a pretty basic offense at at Wisconsin do you think that they end up going with one of those two guys or a portal addition because I kind of went through this last week like the post spring market for quarterbacks is probably not what people realize and there's usually a a big learning curve associated with somebody like that
0: well there there's a new quarterback coming in. I can promise you that it'll be a little different route than maybe what a lot of people are expecting, but they will have another quarterback on that roster competing here soon. Um, I'll say this. Uh, Graham Mertz is the starting quarterback, in my opinion. I mean, just from being around and, and what I've, I've seen and heard, um, you, you mentioned the, the limited offense that you know was being run in Wisconsin that he was in charge of, of, of you know, orchestrating the offense here at Florida has so many more options. And I think the reason that there's optimism about him and what he can bring to the offense is because you do have a guy that is experienced. You know, every coach I talked to there mentioned the 32 starts that he has under his belt. You, no real substitute for experience, but also the, the football IQ, uh, just how intelligent he is. A lot of, just about every play that that Florida runs has some sort of tag on the end. There's always an option that the quarterback can get to so that they have a good play on against any defense. And so having a guy that can make those calls at the line of scrimmage, that can get them into the right play is something I think they're really kind of optimistic about with, with Graham Mertz. So um, I I do think that he's probably, if I had to make a bet right now, the guy that I would anticipate taking the first snap against Utah back in, or in early September. But um, yeah, it it will be interesting with the addition of, of uh, another guy to that room here soon.
1: Want to name some names here? You want to break a little news here? No, no, no. I'm not breaking
0: the news. <laughs> All
1: right. We'll just we'll leave it right there. And then leave when this there. happens, as first reported by by Chris Doring. Yeah. Uh, I I watched uh Auburn, Florida, and I'm sure you did too as, as a former receiver. You're looking at this going, like, man, they just don't have that number one. And, and they have a couple of guys who are nice players. Ferris Johnson for Auburn, nice player. Uh, Ricky Pierce, all nice player, but they just don't have that go-to guy. If you're looking at this as, let's say you were a stud receiver in the portal, and you're thinking, I, I got to figure out my next place to go. Who is the better sell between those two programs,
0: Auburn or Florida? Ooh, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a guy that has one year of eligibility left? Or are we talking about a guy that's a younger player that has the patience to be able to develop along with the program?
1: It's a good question. How about draft eligible with multiple years of eligibility left?
0: Mm. Golly, that's a tough one, man. Um maybe maybe Auburn, just because I think Florida's in a better position in terms of their their receiver room right now. You, you, you're sleeping on Ricky Pearsall. Ricky Pearsall is gonna be a, an absolute stud this year. I mean, he he is a really good player that um Florida was very excited to get to come back, could have gone to the draft. Uh, he exceeded my expectations. I didn't know much about him coming out of Arizona State, but he's a really good receiver, so I'm excited about him. Xavier Henderson looks like he's ready to break out a little bit this year with the spring that that he's had. Um, you know, I think they're they're really excited about the two freshmen, Mizell and Gene. Uh, Mizell, the fastest player on the team already after just showing up on campus for a couple months. So um, I, I think that Florida's in a much better spot as opposed to where Auburn is. Um, even the guys that they returned last year were not world beaters. Um, So they're, they're, they're going to be very active in the portal. I don't know what options they're going to have out there to bring in to help upgrade that position. But uh, coach freeze said he was, he was concerned about their ability to run their offense the way that they'd like to, because of, you know, wh- where their receiver room is right now.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think Florida ran into a little bit of that at, at certain times as well. And just like, Okay, you you want to be able to have this certain amount of balance. But if you don't have the guys that are really getting separation and making those plays downfield, it's difficult to kind of execute that that at a high level and at least have a functioning passing game because it felt like Florida could have turned into a modern day service academy with those backs. But they wanted to still be able to throw the ball and stretch the field that way. Um, Last one for you. I'll, I'll give you the chance to pick a quarterback to buy stock in from one of the three teams that you saw in spring. It's It can be anyone. It doesn't just have to be stock that it, that you sell high yeah. after this year could be a yeah. long-term thing, like a Walker don't, Howard. Don't.
0: You're leading. Yeah. You're leading me to my answer. It's Walker Howard. Walker Howard is going to be a superstar in this conference. And uh, it may not be this year, but I think he understands the opportunity that he has. I think he enjoys being at, at Ole Miss. He likes the city, he likes the school. Uh, I think it was kind of a tough situation for him going to LSU, obviously with that room being loaded, but also having to follow in his father's footsteps there. You know, I I know Jamie Howard. We came out the same year, uh, played against each other our entire careers in college. Uh, talked to him, you know, over the weekend on Saturday, and and just uh, I think he's really excited about uh, the future. And and so you know, the stock that I'm buying is more of a long term play, but I think he's going to have a tremendous career here in the SEC at Ole Miss.
1: Last, last one. I lied. Uh, okay. Give Florida fans just one thing to feel like: okay, sky's not falling, everything's gonna be all right. This is part of the plan. Yeah. Everything's gonna be okay in year two.
0: Last year was year. Last year was year zero. I mean, ah, I think if, we're really, if we're if we're being honest, last year was year zero. And Florida fans don't like to hear that, particularly with the success that Tennessee was able to have so early in Josh Heupel's career there. Like, um, there there is a major roster overhaul that's taking place right now. Uh, Billy Napier likes this team a lot. Uh, I think he feels like they've got a good culture established and kind of weeded out some guys that didn't necessarily fit in very well. Um, I, I, I think they went out and got some dudes in the portal. Cam Jackson is going to be a, a stud for Florida this year, the the Memphis transfer. Um, but I, I do think there needs to be some patience, and, and Florida and patience don't go well together. You look at the schedule. Uh, Connor, I don't see a lot of – I don't see wins that are going to get you – much above where you were this last year. I mean, it, it's a tough schedule from day one, going to Salt Lake City to play Utah in the opener. Having to, you know, the the play the East uh, schedule that you do with with some teams upgrading on that side. You know, your draw from uh, uh, across the conference is is always difficult with with LSU every year. Um, so it, it's it's going to be um, a challenging season, but I, I do think that they're getting better, and I trust Billy Napier. Um, getting to know him the way that I have over the last year, having people that I respect talk about the respect that they have for him and having no doubt that it's going to work out at Florida with, with him at the helm, uh, leads me to feel comfortable about the future.
1: CD, you're the best, man. Hopefully, you've got a beach in your very near future and no T-shirt whatsoever. Hey,
0: my 50th birthday is coming up here soon, brother. I'm going to be on a what? beach for my birthday, man. Come May 19th, I uh, I turn 50. So I'm in the big-time shredding phase right now. We're trying to get shredded for the birthday. So that's, that's what the focus is right now. What are you not in the shredding phase? Hey, 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 being on the road has not been kind to me, it's particularly in Oxford, where the food is great and the drinks are plentiful.
1: That's true. The, the pickle, the pickle martini. That's, you know, that's, that's, really <laughs> I haven't
0: real. done the pickle martini. Is that, is that, is that good?
1: That's I mean, it's, it's an experience. It's an experience. You have Where it right there. That? Uh, uh, what's what is it on the square? I was I was like five years ago that I was there yeah. and had it. I can't. So, Ole Miss fans listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. They All they right. know the pickle martini that you can get on the square as long as it's still there and it, there wasn't like some sort of COVID shutdown. Yeah.
0: I don't I don't venture much outside of the library and Funky's. That little compound right there is really pretty much where I stay. Even to the point where, you know, I sacrificed a real dinner just to stay at Funky's and have you know a pizza, which didn't help the shredding phase either. But. Uh, <laughs> I am – I am. Uh, I, that, that's like my second home in the SEC, man. I am a big fan of of Oxford and the university there in Mississippi. How could you not be? Awesome, awesome place. CD, uh, happy Appreciate
1: early you. early birthday. Appreciate it, man.
0: Thank you, man. Talk to you soon, Connor. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself.
2: Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get.
1: Figuring it out. We're talking about dad bots. Seamless transition from CD, the anti-dad bod. Um, Okay, so something I've been pondering for the last eight plus months while Lauren has been pregnant, I have been preparing for this time in my life in which everybody just kind of says the dad bod. Mm -hmm. It's coming, just be ready for it. My question isn't so much how do I avoid it? It's when when do we start calling it a dad bod? Is it? Let's 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 be clear here. Dad bods cannot include visible abs. I guess other question. Dad bod is past past his prime. Not really motivated to get into his prime or anything resembling that. It's a mindset. It's not just as simple as. What do you look like? Because I think for the most part, most people my age look pretty much the same in what they wear. I wonder how much I am going to truly embrace a dad bod because I'm going to be honest with you. And you know, like we talk about this a lot. We talk about, there are probably people who listen to this where like you guys talk about like exercise and nutrition and stuff like that a little bit too much. It's something that we both are invested in and something that right. we both, you know, it, it's an interest, it's a hobby. These last eight months, man, I've leaned into the dad bod probably more than I have. I haven't stepped on a scale in these eight months. I have been eating everything that Lauren has eaten and then some because if she gets nausea or like, for example, I made, I made chili, made chili for the week. By like day three, she's like, can't do chili, just too much heartburn, just the thought of chili like. Even even like approaching it, she's like, I can't do this. So yeah, I'd i like half of her chili and then put the rest of it away because when you, when you don't really care about developing the dad bot. So mm-hmm. well at what point will you tell
2: me, Connor, <laughs> it's dad bot season? It's listen, here's the question. What you're walking walking around wait, like not right now, but on a usual, you know, off season. I'm between when I'm at my best, I feel like I'm between a buck
1: seventy
2: five. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think that like, so, so the dad bod thing, right? The best way I could explain it is like, it's like Seth Rogen, not like Jonah Hill from like the super bad days, mm. right? So dad bod is just a general like um, uh, laissez-faire attitude towards fitness. It's like, uh, you know, I kind of, maybe I had, maybe I was a former athlete, had a little bit of a foundation there. Maybe I'm naturally skinny guy, starting to get like a, a little bit of a beer gut, but it's not just being lured. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, I'm I've always been Lord like dad body. Dad body is not a potential for me because I'm either skinny fat or I'm fat. <laughs> like so for you, I think that well, first off, you know, and I'm seeing, you know, comments and stuff. People, you know, kind of take it on their, um being supportive for their wives because that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, if you're around a pregnancy, you can't be. You know the locked-in fitness guy because that's going to create body issues. Cannot, cannot do it. Like, and I didn't fully understand
1: it. You, you cannot. If you are saying to your wife who is craving that concrete from Culver's, she's saying salted caramel cookie dough. Let's make it happen. If I'm coming home with one and letting her eat that, that's not ending well. That's not. And look, there. And I'm I'm not trying to make this seem like I'm doing this against my will. I am willingly doing this. I want to support Lauren at every stage of this because if there's anything I can possibly do to make her more comfortable during this eight months of growing a human being, I'm going to do it. So if that means leaning into the dad bod more so than I ever have during my time as an adult, wherein I've actually cared about fitness, then so be it that that is a sacrifice i will make 10 times out of 10 because if i'm not doing that what am i not doing that for you know what i mean so right. like that's that's the zone i'm in right now that i'm trying to figure out is like how much of this will continue and i i, I admittedly was training for the 10k to try and resist some of that and I don't want to be labeled as like definitive dad bod guy. Think Marshall from How I Met Your Mother. Right? Oh that's, man, what a, my... what an
2: all time lad that Marshall! I strive to be like Marshall every day. Um, yeah, we got we got that on our networks, and we got it right when COVID started. And I was like, brother, I'm going to sit here and watch How I Met Your Mother for work. This is things have been worse. Just and don't so... don't get to the ending. Yeah, just nah. everything. Um, anyway, that. yeah. So point being like. Yeah, I think, well, the, the cool thing about things like that, right, is like, and with both of you guys, you know, with your kind of, like, athletic like background, just kind of, like, commitment to this kind of stuff, there is no better feeling than, you know, I know you can relate to this. Well, I don't know, because you actually keep a pretty good diet, but during the season, man, okay, I have this, I've realized, it, it. this has happened since I was 14, and now that I kind of, like, slightly work in college football, it's even more so. You know, that last Saturday after college football is the one I always wake up, and I'm just like, all right, time to get after it, and you feel good. Because you got 10, 15 pounds, you know you can lose pretty quickly because I've just been eating chili, I've been eating Buddha, I've been eating whatever. And so that's the cool thing about you guys is that you guys start off as kind of like a fit couple together. And then you've gone on this journey you know, with the concrete and like the cravings and all that stuff. And then you guys will get to a point, I'm sure, in a year or so where you're just like, all right. Let's go. And that could be another fun activity for you guys. So that's the cool thing is communicating and staying on the same page. I think you guys do a good job of that. And and that's the thing, like having a fitness goals in a relationship, I think, have to line up because then you can't have the, oh, you know, I'm Mr. Rigid, you know, I have to have this every day, this. And then your wife is like, I just want to eat maple syrup, you know, like you said. So it's, it's, it's an experience, the the, the parenthood part of it, from what I understand.
1: I think that's at the root of a dad yeah, bod is, right. is compromise. And that's what this comes down to. And it doesn't guarantee if you develop a dad bod, it doesn't mean that you are 100% locked in before. And and I'll be honest, like for the most part, I keep a, a pretty flexible diet. I, I'm not sitting here counting my macros. I'm not the person before, like before Lauren got pregnant, I'm not the person that's like, oh, like I'm really, I am really, I try and eat healthy. There are certain things that I that I keep out of my diet. I haven't been a soda drinker. I'll call it soda because I realize <laughs> where my bread is buttered. Okay, I understand that. That's um, a compromise right there. Hey, that's a count. You're exactly right. I haven't done that since I like I, I like started losing weight in college, doing doing that. And there are certain foods that I'll just be like, yeah, I'm not gonna probably have that on a, on a regular basis just because I know kind of what I eat. And if I stay within that, okay, you know, I know I'm gonna be having. You know, I have a burger on Tuesday, Friday, like we're going to go out to dinner. We're probably going to do something over the weekend related to that. But like, if I stick within those confines and oh, by the way, I'm probably having ice cream most nights out of the week. This actually sounds really bad now that I talk it out, but I'm like, if I tell myself I can do these these things while exercising, while having an understanding of how my body feels after eating these certain things and when I maybe need to kind of cut back and what what we need to do to, to meal prep a little bit differently. I feel like I'm still staying within that, but I'll admit the compromise of getting into having what looks to be like a dad bod and not being at peak physical form. I'm kind of okay with it. I, I, and I didn't think I would be maybe like two, three years ago, but I am now a little bit more accepting of, of how I feel as long as I don't feel like crap, as long as I can still get some workouts in where it's like maybe five days a week, ideally I like six then I think we're okay. But I get it now more so than I
2: than I did before. I'll, I'll definitely say that. Well and and we'll get to the to the to the comments after this. But just remember, what is the goal of physical fitness when you're in a couple, according to the KO Spikes? Just gotta look good so that when you turn out the lights, all she's or all you gotta what, what oh God, how do you feel? Basically, you it? just gotta look good for your wife. You know what I know. I'm
1: saying? So just be look good enough so that when when you you can look good enough with your shirt off with the one candle on or something like that, and then or, or with two candles on, and then if I'm butchering this horribly, just go back and listen to the clip with Keo Spikes.
2: Yes, but point being, your fitness when you're in a couple is about your partner, so that's yes. the key to this whole thing, you know.
1: Yes, look good, look good enough to where she's not like, hey, you're kind of letting yourself slide a bit. No, boom, we're not doing that. Okay, uh, yeah, Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. Uh, I've got some comments here. Let's start with this one from Drew Page. Drew says, at five six 153, I'm less dad bod and more stepdad bod at this point in life, but I also don't think you need to be a dad to embrace the lifestyle. That's a good question. The lifestyle is I work out some, but it's not prioritized, and it shows. I think that's kind of the ge- – for the most part like that's what it looks like there are there there was the description back in college of I have extremely average physical physique and I look like I get after it on the weekend nobody's going to call that person dad bod that's more of like a frat bod
2: they would say there you the go that, you run around every once in a while you know race somebody outside of a Chili's.
1: Every once in a while, you're going to Saturday morning pickup hoops. You're right. you're you're capable of still doing that. You're not gonna like tear your ACL or something. But I, I think Dad bod is just frat bod grown up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's essentially yeah. what it is. But instead of oh, I had twelve beers over the weekend and it's hitting my metabolism differently. It's oh, I actually just housed a you know three quarters of a pizza. Went three or four days without going to the gym. Things, things slid a little bit, probably put on them you know 10, 15 pounds in the last year. something like that. That's very Uh, Emery Picker says I'm losing my pre-dad bod down 50 pounds since October. Oh my gosh. I guess I saw him in September. so dang, shout out to you. Uh, and coming from someone who has been too overweight a few points in their life, your body works much better at a reasonable weight between your joints and lungs and even mental health. It's not worth it. To give into the dad bod, if you have a choice, if you have a choice, if you have a choice, and there are varying extremes, right? If if I'm at the place where I'm going to the doctor and they're saying your cholesterol is through the roof, you have you're you're doing this at a rate that's probably not sustainable. You've Mm -hmm. really pecked on the pounds in the last year since you came in for a checkup or something. Yeah, have a conversation probably the time to dial it back maybe cut down on the sodium intake maybe we're not doing a burger every tuesday which again i swear by that but that's just me um there there is i think an okay way to resist it and still feel like you're not necessarily doing your partner harm but the have a choice know how that conversation is going to end And know that you're, you know, if if we're talking about pregnancy, you're talking about like the convenience of what's available after when you have a kid, I've heard a lot of people, I heard Ari and uh, Ari Wasserman, friend of the program and, uh, Hmm. and Andy Staples going back and forth about the value of a hot and ready at little Caesars. (laughs) And they like, Andy swears by it. And he's like, trust me when you have kids, which Ari now does. He's like, you will understand the value of that in a different way. The convenience of it, that'll, that's all part of the dad bod. And we talked about this with, with meal prep. It's a whole lot harder to meal prep. When you've got kids running around, you've got a million different things and you could be making kind of healthy choices throughout the week. instead you're going with like, whatever's available that all, that all feeds into it. It does. Um, I think the dad bod, you feel comfortable. You feel all right in in t shirts. You feel okay. You're not going probably sleeveless unless you're at the beach.
2: That's that's it. You just hit on something that I was about to talk about. First off, I was just looking because uh, Emery the lad went to this amazing festival. I wish I could have gone to. He sent me pictures, and it's uh like Zach. It was called Two Step In. Yeah, Two Step In. And like uh, like Zach Bryan was out there. I wish I could have gone. Like, but he sent me a picture of him in like cut off overalls with like his cowboy hat guns out full gun show and i was like that was my first takeaway to like, this dude's losing mate and and but it's something that you just hit on at the end there there's no greater motivator other than maybe like you know some traumatic event than proximity to the water oh yeah if you like he lives in savannah if you live near the water and you're like yo like i don't want to be shirt on guy at the beach that is the easiest way if you're a, a, a tubby nugget like myself that would get you like, if I live near the water, dude, all this power lifting stuff, you know what I'm saying? So he's found the balance of, you know what I'm saying? Because he lives heavy, but he's gotten the cardio in there. Yeah, I'd be I'd be out there on a bike every day because if you go to your beach, bro, people are attractive out there. I don't want to be looking like doughy. Here's a question.
1: Big arms, you've got the gut. Big arms like in a muscular kind of defined way of like, they can throw some weight around.
2: Mm-hmm. bot or not a bot? Well, it depends. There, you know, there are levels to it. There's the, the Rastillo to the Cocho, right? So Cocho has like the 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 barrel going on, right? Yeah. But if, I mean, I feel like if I could get to the Rastillo, I'd be happy. You Get like some guns. You get a little bit of chub going on because I don't really prioritize cardio, like I said. But again, you live in a beautiful place. You live in a place with nice weather. You know, if you live in that, like, you're kind of in there in Orlando, too, where number one, when you get outside, it gets hot. That's the situation that he's in where he's like, I go outside and it's hot because I'm in Savannah. So it's just, yeah, I think your environment matters a lot, especially with like that type of stuff, especially if I can like, walk around as a bigger guy. Because I go back to Louisiana, I'm like, I can't be fat here. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> Good point. I think if you have big arms, people will be reluctant to say you have a dad bod.
1: Right. I think that like you could have kind of a gut. And you could have kind of like let yourself go, like put on, pack on like 15, 20 pounds. But if you have big enough arms and that's kind of the more noticeable thing, if people talk about having bigger arms after you have a kid because of the way that you cradle a baby and it oh, actually God. corrodes your arm. So you got some gains coming some in. Some analytics the right there, all right? You're going to get, <laughs> you know. Uh, But like that, that can maybe be the, the thing that distracts people enough from your dad bod. Something that I'll probably be
2: keeping in mind and definitely won't take too, too seriously. You're going to be you know, baby right arm, five pound weight and the other arm. Just keep them, you know, keep them at, keep them level. You know, you want to keep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. We don't
1: want, we don't want to get out of whack here. We're going to be rotating, you know, like maybe 20 minutes in this arm, 20 minutes in this arm. You know, we'll just check our heart rate, make sure we're not doing anything, you know, that qualifies for hit training. But you, you there you go. Understand. Yeah. All right. Michael Dark says father of four here. I've put on about 15 to 10 to 15 pounds with each kid because I would typically eat what my wife ate during her pregnancy, weird cravings and all. There I would go. always tell myself after the baby, I'd hit the gym hard to lose my baby weight, but guess what? Because I actually help with the baby. It's difficult to consistently go to the gym during the infant stage, add in other children. And it gets even more difficult because you're always tired, regardless of the amount of sleep you get. I'll say this. If my wife didn't find my dad but attractive." I wouldn't have had four kids.
2: Hey, there Ayo. you go. What's it, it about? Who's your target demographic? Not those people at the beach, buddy.
1: Can you? Here, no, I don't like. Never mind. I'm gonna. <laughs> I want to rephrase this in a different way. Do women actually find the dad bot attractive, or do they just like
2: to say that they find it attractive? A certain style of woman, but see, like that's the thing. It's. I'm. I'm not gonna get into that psyche. It's not for me to say. Actually. Oh, I've got. I've got thoughts on this.
1: Uh, let's got... do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: If you're tall, anything goes. Those you can be. You no 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 no, no 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 no. Hear me out here, and I'm saying ta- I'm saying this. This is gonna sound like Napoleon complex. It's not. It's I've seen this with my own two eyes. Mm-hmm. If you're six two and above, you get so much more grace with your dad bod. If you are short, if you're sub five ten, like your boy, your grace is not not nearly what six two six three guys is. Okay, that's okay. facts. That guy is walking in into the bar and getting probably the same the same sort of eyes on him if he's you know got a variance of 15 to 20 pounds. Cuz you know what? They hold it better. I admit that. I fully admit that. They can get away with the dad bod. Those guys, that's who every woman who has ever said like, "Oh yeah, I like that he's got a dad bod." That's who they're talking about. As long as they're tall, it's fine. But if you're short and you've got a dad bod, it's ah, you know what? He kind of looks lazy, like a short, stumpy guy. Like, you know, I think Joe Pesci. Um, it's always Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci's not getting away with the dad bod, it's getting away like with the, intimidation.
2: I like to break that here. I think it has a lot to do with your mentality as far as your like attractiveness, right? Like, I've had like now that I'm like kind of newly single, I've had plenty of people tell me it's like, oh, well, I usually go for like skinnier guys, but you know, I like you. And it's like, well, if you're a big dude who, you know, doesn't shy away from that. You know, if you think about like the Shaquille O'Neal vibe, where it's like, hey, I'm big, I'm going to fill up a room. Then it's like, okay, that's something. But if you're big and, or if you're like kind of chunky and awkward, that's where it starts to become unattractive. But I think the vision of guy with a dad bodice, a guy who's comfortable shirtless at like the local, you know, the dad gathering with a beer and his saying like, oh, how's it going, man? But not the guy who's just like, eh. so I think that has a lot to do with it as well. How tall are you, Will? Six foot, six one, did on shoes. Six, okay.
1: So you're right in that range though Mm
2: -hmm.
1: of tall enough. Cause, and you like, you're, you're able to, to like, you've always, as far as, as long as I've known you, you've been able to be like, you know, a bigger guy who like, this is just like the way that you are wired. Whereas there are certain guys who are going to, and I'm not like trying to shame or anything like that. There are certain guys who can hold weight in a more noticeable way than others. If like, I couldn't hold your frame in the same sort of way. I I just couldn't like, I I would look really weird. It'd be like the first thing that like, if I, if I looked at myself and I was like, Oh my, like, you know, I'm, I'm five, eight, I'm just not getting away with, with some of those things like Marshall from how I met your mother. That's going to be the prime example here. He gets away with the dad bod all day at no point in that show. Was there ever a conversation about the fact that like he gained pretty considerable weight throughout that entire thing. And it was like maybe an episode or something like that. And it was never really a big topic of conversation because he's tall. Who cares? Mm-hmm. He's tall. He gets away with it. A little bit, a little bit softer. I think there are a lot of women who would be like, hey, you know what? Not as threatening. I don't necessarily have to worry about it. I know. And what does the dad bod say? This is the original topic that we were talking about. This is what Drew Page was talking about. And this is what Michael said as well. If your priority is simply, I'm going to focus on you, I'm willing to compromise. Then that's a pretty good sign. They're not too into themselves, and they're able to to you know offer up that sort of sacrifice, even if it's not really a sacrifice. It's just kind of like how they look and how they carry themselves. Then that's a win. So you know what? I think, I think the moral of today's episode is I'm embracing a dad bod the the mindset more than ever.
2: Yes. Well, listen to this. Here's one example. It might dis- it might be like a rule versus the one outlier. Jack Black. not a dad bod not a dad bod no 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 no. you think he's too chonky for a dad bod uh
1: i i think he is more like he is more known for that go back to school rock days that's what i'm talking about you think he's too chonky for the dad bod there i don't look at him and think dad
2: bod i think everything i've ever seen him in he's been like a bigger guy you know what i mean okay so he he kind of does like the chonky dude like like that that he embraces it he's not in the middle ground is what you're saying But he's shorter. So maybe that's why my mind doesn't go to that
1: place of dad bod. Because if you just stretched him out and made him into a six foot two, six
2: foot three guy. Dude, this is a dad bod in school, rock. This is a dad bod. I'm telling you. But that's a really confident, funny guy. So I think the moral of the story is if you own whoever you are, then it can work because he has a stupid high level of confidence that kind of outweighs okay. your rule about being short. So I'm saying, that's the thing, you know, if you're going to embrace it, embrace it, but you don't pull up to the function and immediately like, you know, I got the dad bod work because everybody's going to focus on it. But with him, I was like, dang, I didn't realize he was that
1: short. Like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe because of how high energy he is, he doesn't come across as someone who has a dad bod. Maybe right. that's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something to be said for that dad bod. That person's just too tired to get to the gym. Just too tired. And they've, i have been it. teaching all these kids at the School of Rock. They're trying yeah. to
2: make their band dreams come to life. <laughs> They'll have time to work try, out.
1: Try to just do whatever. He, you know the guy uh, was Dewey. He was on Survivor. Really? <laughs> he, was, wow, like he was really good on Survivor. He was really interesting. Uh, nobody probably watches Survivor anymore. Really good binging show. I've said that before on these airwaves. But yeah, he didn't come here for that. Um, yeah, I think that covers it. That was a... I, th- I think a healthy discussion
2: that I needed to have that I've wanted to have for a while about dead bots. So thank you for yeah. that. Will. Embrace yourself, bro. That's, that's the big, that's the big thing. You know, it's like, and like I said, there are plenty of people like, like Seth Rogen, such a great example. I've heard, Talking to people, is just like, yeah, I just think Seth Rogen is so attractive. Like, older, like, like back in the day, Seth Rogen's like, because he's just a happy, warm, funny guy. So, you got to find your vibe, not that you're trying to be attractive to people, but just that you put out in the world. You know what I'm saying? And if you try to be Mr. like Hardo fitness guy and you have a dad bod, people are going to be like, all right, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, just be, you know, just be walking around with a little like a light brewski as like a prop and just be like, oh, how's it going? Have a catch, you know, have a baseball mitt ready to go. And I think it'll be fine.
1: Just baseball mitt everywhere I go. I like just that. Just in, in the car. That's the thing, yeah. in the car. And, and then I just, say. I can still throw a baseball around, right? You know, and and not worry about about tearing something or something like that. We're athletic enough to do those things, exactly. But but don't ask me to be at my my peak physical shape. Yeah, I like that. Um, we have a big pod coming up later in the week. Plan is Hendon Hooker later in the week, so we'll be awesome to hear about him. Yes, look forward to that one. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't get any like last-minute pro days or anything like that. Scheduling with him has been been a little bit difficult to be able to set that up, but uh, we're looking forward to to being able to to line that up. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow Us on all of our different platforms. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the S D S Pod at C J O'Gara. You Want to follow Will on Twitter at Go So Hard. That's G E A U X So Hard. Follow him on Twitter. Follow will set down south as well. Join the Facebook group here named Ravenair with figuring out Lord and brush. Thanks guys. Talk soon.